More concerns over safety in downtown Winnipeg after a stabbing fatality on Sunday at the Millennium Library. We had much to discuss on that this morning and get your thoughts on whether or not you feel safe downtown. Turkey prices in some parts of Canada, they are going way up. What are you seeing out there? And we'll check in with Munther Zied from Food Fair to see what he's dealing with in terms of supply. Breakfast with the Bombers, we check in with a brand new contract for the longest tenured Blue Bomber, Jake Thomas. And we had a good time talking about, oh, come on moments, like when my check engine light turned off when I got my car to the shop. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, December 13th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we talked about it yesterday with David Phillips from Environment Canada. What is the lowdown on the Colorado low? And then it was yesterday afternoon, I got the flurry of, the no pun intended there on fl- fl- using the word flurry, but a flurry <laughs> of notifications from various weather apps that a special weather statement is in effect. Potentially 20 to 30 centimeters of snow by the weekend, Mackling. And it looks like, according to one of our listeners, this storm is wreaking all kinds of havoc. It's a gigantic storm. It's not really even aimed at us. We're sort of on the edge or the northern periphery, as David Phillips pointed out yesterday. And uh, this storm is going to be swallowing, engulfing, if you like, the entire Midwest United States, all the way from Texas straight up into southern Manitoba, straight up I-29, basically. And uh, so, yeah, we could be, or they could be seeing in uh, in Fargo up to, did Jeff say? 40. 40 centimeters I deleted snow? his email as soon as it came <laughs> in. Sorry, Jeff, if you're already listening. As soon as it came in and said, this storm is big, I think that was the subject line. I was like, nope, not not listening, but we're talking tornadoes, I think they said, in some parts of the states, then the heavy yep. snow, snow, and then here, what, 10, 20, 30 centimeters? What are the estimates? 20 to 30 centimeters by the weekend for Winnipeg, but yeah, 40 centimeters in Fargo with big wind, five tornado warnings this morning in uh, Texas and Oklahoma. So yeah, I'm just looking at the weather radar. This is... I don't know if impressive is the appropriate word to use, but that, yeah, gargantuan, it's an impressive That's storm. the word. Uh, gargantuan was the word that was coming to my mind for sure. Yeah. So great, great. Uh, one of our, I, I, I saw on social media yesterday, though, a few people saying it feels as though, or the forecast is that it's not going to kind of all come in one right. dump. It's going to come a little bit at a time. And so that might give us an opportunity to catch up. But then that has me wondering about, you know, for the complaining that we do about, keeping streets clear of snow, uh, it's not about the individuals who do that job by any stretch of the imagination. We know that that's a difficult job. The shifts are 12 hours long. But what does that mean over the next four, five, six days for those folks that are going to be tasked with operating that equipment to keep the to keep the roads clear. And uh, I wonder what it means for highways over the next couple of days. Yeah, you get, say, four centimeters a day versus 20 to 30 all at once, what right? Do you prefer? Are, are you just going nonstop? And do you have the ability to do that? And what do you like even as someone, just think about that with your own driveway. Do you just appreciate it when it comes in one day and then you just go out there once for three hours and get it done? Or do you, do you I mean, I hate it when I clear it and then 20 minutes later I'm like, well... That was a waste of my time. And, and we do have highways closed in western Manitoba for right. for uh, some storm in the Russell area, like just a, se- a short section near Russell and Roblin, just because that snow is 
moving in on that side of Manitoba. Mm. So we'll just have to keep an eye on it, I guess. Yeah. I'm already calling it. I'm taking a snow day. <laughs> Days. Well, and our question of the day yesterday afternoon kind of ties into this. For Mr. Furnace, don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Should winter tires be mandatory? And 31% said yes. 69% say no. A little surprised by, by the no's uh, in that. I am, am, have been delinquent in getting my tires swapped. Me too. And I, because I, I just, it's only because I, I, once golf season ends, I drive my car maybe once a week. So I just keep, I kept forgetting. And I took my car, oddly enough, to virtual golf, a place called Golf Zone on McGilvery. And it's way out near the perimeter. And three times last year, we had plans to go out there and we had to bail because the, the driving condition, it was like blizzard conditions. Snowed out. Your golf was snowed out. So we're like, we're, it's just, un, we didn't want to go. And then, of course, Tuesday, we booked plans and naturally it was snowy and blowing snow. And I thought, come on. And I got in my car and I, it was a bit of a white knuckle drive. And as soon as I got home, I made the appointment to get them swapped. So the car is currently at the shop and they're going to get it swapped out. I don't know how I did all those years with all seasons versus now having winters on uh, both vehicles. It is such a difference. And the acceleration is one thing getting off the line or getting away from a stop sign, but it's the stopping as well, Loren, that makes all the difference in the world. The grippiness of those mm-hmm. tires is is just night and day. My buddy lives in BC and there's signs, you know, if you're going through the mountains, it, you have to have winter tires. Otherwise, uh, you could be... You know, you could be in for a big ticket. Never mind really? the idea. Yeah. And never mind the idea of uh, sliding off the highway, which is, which is a whole other situation altogether. No, it, it, in Quebec, I think all motorized vehicles have to have winter tires. It's the law. I believe you're correct. So, I and I'm one. I've said this before. I thought, well, what's the difference? Shouldn't all tires just be good tires for Canadian conditions? But they're not. And once I switched over to ice tires or winter tires, I it was a huge difference. I just haven't made the switch yet because I go to the garage, do husband, and do husband <laughs> hasn't done it yet. And I actually said yesterday, what are we going to get these uh, tires on? And he's like, today actually would have been a good day. But it's 8 p.m. And, you know, <laughs> one of those moments where you're like, oh, man, I actually had time today. Today would have been a good day. So maybe tonight. Right now, we want to discuss something we touched on last half hour, this fatal stabbing at the Millennium Library in downtown Winnipeg, which has once again put the spotlight on safety in that building. Global's Lisa Dutton has more. Winnipeg police are investigating the city's 51st homicide of the year, this one at the Millennium Library. Officers were called Sunday afternoon just before 5 p.m. and found a man who had been seriously injured. He was rushed to hospital in critical condition but did not survive. Three youths are in police custody. The homicide unit has taken over the investigation. The library will be closed until next Monday, the 19th. So we really don't have a lot of details as to what happened here beyond that the victim was a man. Police wouldn't say where in the library the stabbing happened or if it was even at the entrance or close to the entrance. We know security, though, has been a huge concern at that library for several years. And so back in 2019, just as a reminder, the city put in a bunch of measures, including handheld metal detectors for anyone coming and going through its various entrances. And that really upset some community advocates who felt that 
marginalized certain that targeted marginalized groups rather and it was invasive you know to do these bag checks and the metal detectors but not longer after they put in place i was just going back through some old stories this morning the, the one of the heads of the library came to the city hall meeting and said look this is actually working it's it's working to reduce incidents it's it's meaning that we're calling 911 a lot less but during the pandemic at some point in 2020 those screenings stopped and so greg we're asking some questions this morning about okay well what are we going to do um with what happened here, what do we need to know, and what further concerns do staff have? The, I've asked the union for some more information, but the Winnipeg Free Press is reporting that QP, that represents some staff there, a couple days just before the stabbing had actually raised some concerns about safety. So I think bigger conversations obviously are going to need to happen again, both for the people who work there, for patrons, and, and just even coming and going from that building. Lots of people use it as a way through the downtown with its various skywalks and what have you. Yeah, well, Loren, you called us the saddest building in the downtown earlier this morning. And let me tell you, it wasn't always that way. The downtown library, remember when it opened, it was created as a public facility, as a library. Opened back in 1977 as the Centennial Library. I used to spend a lot of time there. It was an incredible resource for researching school projects and a place to go as a family. We'd go down there on the bus with my Grammy or I would go down myself on the bus in junior high school and high school on the weekends in particular to work on stuff that I'd left until the last moment typically. But then in 2005, it was given new life with that fabulous wall of glass. They added another floor to it, made it a more welcoming space. Now, this is where you sort of shift gears on on the function of the library. And I understand the city needs a place for those who need a place to go, whether it be in the summer or winter as cooling centers or warming centers. That That's not news. And I don't want to sound insensitive here, but, the, but should the library be that place? You've heard the saying, jack of all trades. Well, sometimes there's a caveat attached to that saying, and that's master of none. And is it possible that the library has been, you know, it has become impossible for the Millennium Library to serve the public in its intended purpose by making it sort of this multifaceted building and having it do two things, one of which it was never intended to be. And I want to be clear, I don't think it's sad because what goes on in and around it, it's more for what doesn't go on in and around it. It's it's not not necessarily welcoming all Winnipeggers in. And it's a beautiful space with art on the outside and art on the inside. And when you actually get in and you're walking around it, you, you can have a great, you could spend hours there and really like it. It's just that driving around it, go, trying to get through it, even if you're just using it as a conduit to other buildings because of its skywalks. There's just a lot going on and you do feel sometimes unsafe. And even just using the parkade to get to a Jets game a few weeks ago, you know, I felt uncomfortable just because of the fact that the hole from four floors down reeked of urine and, you know, all sorts of things. And so it, it's supposed to be this great space. And I don't know how many would say that it is. Yeah, I've talked about you know, when I walk home, often the head is on the swivel, regardless of time of day, even in broad daylight. And that particular block uh, is where I tend to sort of be the most vigilant. And that that does make me sad. You, Greg, you referenced the time that you spent there as a younger person for scholastic purposes. Some of my favorite memories from my schooling days are spent in libraries in the city, in particular at that library. You know, get 
pulling out the what do you call it the the microfiche the microfiche yes yeah like that blew my mind the first time that I tried was the that. original internet yeah it was so neat and that's the, that building is the first place where I ever got to experience that and just getting to do you know when you actually had to do research in books to write papers and whatnot so I have very fond memories of the library and when I went through it after they added the floor and did the renovations and whatnot. I couldn't believe what they had done with that space. It's just it's amazing. remarkable. Yes. You should, be pro- you should be proud of it, though. Yeah, and I, and I, I somewhat feel somewhat ashamed that I haven't used it for its intended purpose in recent years. And you know, that's, maybe that's just because I watch too much TV because couch potatoes or whatever. But, but now whenever I happen to go through there, and there have been times where I think, oh, you know, I want to get this book. And I should stop at the library. And then I sort of walk past it and go, eh, I'm just going to keep going. And then you often wonder if the if the rate of usage with regard to its intended use of checking out books and borrowing other materials keeps going down. And then that serves as a justification for reducing its hours, reducing its accessibility. But at what point does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Oh, well, we don't need this because of the internet and the access to information elsewhere. But if people are not feeling welcomed there, then that is exactly what's going to happen. People are going to stop using it for its intended purpose. And once again, please do not mistake my question about whether or not this is the correct facility to be serving these quote-unquote dual or multiple purposes. Uh, I, I think this is, a, this is a, a black mark on the city for not uh, opening and creating other spaces that allow intended spaces to do their intended job. So I've got an ask out to the city just to find out how they're responding to this and the concerns about security and where do they go next? Because they are keeping it closed until Monday, not just you know to give staff some time and what have you, but I think some solutions have to come up before Monday if, if, if this happened inside and if staff members are feeling this deep level of concern again. Today we're going to talk about those, oh, come on, moments. So yesterday I had to take my car in because I've been dragging my feet on getting my winter tires swapped out. So I made an appointment last week, but the day that I was driving home, white-knuckling it, driving home through the snow, thinking, I really wish I had winter tires on. I better call as soon as I get home. My check engine light comes on. I'm like, oh, great, great. My car is always there to remind me that it's getting old. And I thought, okay, what's this going to end up costing me? So I'm driving to the dealership yesterday, to, to see Rennie, the service guy, and the check engine light is on. And I pull into the garage, I turn off the car, and then I give the key to another gentleman there, James, and he gets back in the car, like, immediately, seconds later, turns the car on, and then he says to me, when's the last time you saw this light? And I look, at, <laughs> look in at the dash, and he said, like, five seconds ago, what did you do? Of course, I give you the key. <laughs> And you have the magic touch. It's like when you're at the grocery store, you're trying to scan something, and then someone comes over who works there, and they pick it up, and they just go, bloop, and it works. So what are those, oh, come on, those, oh, sure, sure, now it works moments? Tell us a story for a chance to win. Let's go around the horn here. Loren McNabb, shall we start with you? It's minor, but it's often food-related. Like, you have a craving for something, or, you know, my husband really likes oysters, and you think, let's go find a restaurant that has raw oysters, and then you get there, and you sit down, and they say, no, just... 
one quick note. The one thing that's not on the menu today because we don't have it is oysters, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you're like, what? Like, it's the, literally the reason I put a bra on. Like, sorry, that's too much information, but it's the reason why I got out this morning. And now you're telling me that this isn't there. And I think it happens, like, not every month, but once a year for sure, where the thing I'm craving food-related you go to, and it's just that day where they run out or it's not on the menu. It's not major. Like, you move on. You move on to something else. Oh, but that's immensely frustrating. You know, you're craving something, you get there, they usually have it, and then they're like, sorry, we don't or have it. Or it's closed, today. or, you know, you you're go out of your way to drive somewhere, and then, of course, of course, you know, I didn't check that Mondays are the day this place is closed. That used to happen in Minnedosa a lot. Yeah? Stuff closed on a Monday. Well, small mm. towns, I, I mean, for years, I don't know how many still do it, but Monday was the day off, or the, the clo- Sunday, Monday would be their days to close. Lots of restaurants are, are still closed on Mondays as sure. well. There have been uh, there were a number of times when I was doing the takeout frenzy at the beginning of the pandemic where Mondays were, my options were heavily limited. Magic Bird was one, right? Yep. They were closed on Monday. Sunday, I know that Sundays and Mondays. Sunday, Monday, yeah. Yeah. Well, what about you, Mackling? Well, just actually had it, and... It, I count on you guys to narrow my my train of thought. Uh, got uh, the <laughs> well, good luck to us, I guess. There's so many places I could go <laughs> with this one, but I'll use this one. Uh, so, um, got my my winter tires on uh, what's now my car. Uh, just a, about three Fridays ago, Jackie had gotten hers done a uh, few days previous. And so I was there Friday at Denray Tire. I was only there for uh, about an hour and 10 minutes. They got everything all switched up. Saturday, Jackie comes home and we go out to go out uh, Saturday afternoon and her tire is flat. Some sort of piece of rebar or something uh. has gone through the sidewall. We spend uh, all day Saturday. It was right on the edge. I know the sidewall can't be repaired, but I hoped beyond hope that maybe it wasn't the sidewall, that maybe it was technically on the tread. No such luck. So, you know, I anticipated going to Denray Tire, you know, in March or April to get my summers back on the car, but I was back there on Monday, uh, three days after uh, getting my own winter tires on to replace uh, one of our winter tires that was exactly 12 months old. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That stinks. Yep. Sorry to hear that. Jeff Braun, mm-hmm. what about you, sir? When you take the dog for a walk and it cops a squad, and I look away <laughs> because it's gross and you want to give the little guy some dignity, you know? But then when they're done and you look for it and you can't find it. What? And you know what happened. And <laughs> oh, it could come be on. They're somewhere. And then you think, well, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe they're constipated or something like that. I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you And then you want to, like, step around to a different side to, you know, look at the grass from a different angle or something. But you also don't want to step in it. And it's just it's a, a, a nerve-wracking ordeal I don't need in my day. But <laughs> I often have the opposite uh, where I forget the bag. Oh, and yeah, I don't yeah. know why you just don't think to take it every time, but it's it's because I just saw him do his business in the yard, <laughs> and then you take him for a walk, and then he discovers he's not done, yeah. and then I don't have to beg, and then I just yell out like for the surrounding houses to hear, "I'll be back!" <laughs> yeah. Like I'm coming, don't worry, like, I'll be back. Because you just you're so sure someone's got you on their security camera, just letting your dog do his business by their yard and walking away. Just go knock on the door and ask for a Safeway bag. I, I or have something. done that in the in the I've summer for sure because there's always someone outside. Sure, but wintertime nobody wants that. Ah, fair enough. There was one time where I was walking my dog Dexter, and he I had two bags, used them both because he went twice, and then he decided, nah, I'm not done yet. I'm like, dude. 
what are you doing to me? And we were blocks away from home, and I thought, I'm just going to have to leave this one because he wasn't sick. He just, I guess, was pent up. So anyway, yeah, I feel your pain there, Bron. Forte, what about you? For me, and I've done this so many times, and I feel stupid every time I do it. Before I leave my apartment, I do my checks, my, you know, phone, wallets. Now, I have two different sets of keys. I have my, like, physical keys for my apartment, and then I also have my card keys for my apartment and uh, for at work. So I check to make sure I have all that. And then I walk down to my car, and my car is about three-minute walk away from my apartment. And I get to the car, and, you know, it's uh, you push the button to unlock it, and so you don't have the physical keys. Well, of course, I forgot the car keys. Uh. So I check to make sure I have everything once down to the car, can't get in. It's like, oh, man, like, why? <laughs> like, I should have just checked I had my keys. So I have to walk back upstairs, grab the keys, walk back downstairs. And, like, it takes me, like, a good 12, 13 minutes just to, just because I forgot my keys. Just why don't you have all the keys on one ring, the house and the car? Because I go for walks and having, because my car keys have two fobs on it. <laughs> it takes up a lot of pocket room. I barely drive my car. I Why can't. two fobs? Are you walking around with both fobs for your car in your pocket? No, one is for my command start. Ah, okay. That, that I got put on afterwards. Gotcha, that one gotcha. is the, the right. key for the car. Okay. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. Those, oh, come on. Oh, sure. Now? Now? This happens Now? Tell us a story for a chance to win tickets to see Shania Twain, November 7th, Canada Life Centre. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15. So here's a question that we're going to ask you this half hour. Will 2023 bring lower housing prices? Well, the market is supposedly cooling, Brett, but by just how much? This morning, Royal LePage has put out its forecast for the coming year. Michael Fraze is broker and managing partner, Royal LePage Prime Real Estate. Michael, good morning. Good morning. So this report, I think, is anticipated uh, some months more than others. This one probably very much anticipated. What's it showing for Winnipeg? Because uh, the city in particular has been uh, bucking the national trend for the, for the last couple of months. Yeah, we certainly haven't. Um, you know, while we followed the trends, we just we haven't had the intensity of some of the other markets. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, the I'll say the average homeowner right now might not feel that way because it has been a pretty, for Winnipeg standards, a very intense last couple of years. But looking into into next year, what we're really looking at is is a year of balancing out, right? It's going to be, we have a new uh, mortgage rate environment right now, which, uh, you know, we saw the rates coming, but maybe not as intensely as this. And so the market has responded with, uh, you know, sales and activity have slowed in the last fourth quarter, in the fourth quarter here. Uh, prices have come down. Uh, to back where we're still ahead of where they were pre-pandemic, but they're coming back down to where they were last year. And so um, what this means for, for next year, 2023, is going to be this return to sort of a normal real estate market uh, as hopefully right now interest rates kind of level off. So if I'm, if I'm reading your numbers right, the aggregate price is dropping 1% year over year, but the median price of a single family detached home rises 1%. So, I mean, even let's just look at that decline. 1% is not a lot given the hikes that we've seen. And I think what the expectation might've been from some, Michael. Yeah. So what that, that means is again, it's looking out for the entire year. Um, and the fourth quarter of this year, we've seen some prices drop again, I would say probably quicker and uh, more substantially than we anticipated. So that's going to bring us into the first quarter. I believe, uh, like you said, is going to be a slow first quarter. Um, you know, hey, especially 30 centimeters of snow coming uh, this week here. So we have these sharp interest rate rises. 
coupled with our usual seasonal norms. Uh, Winnipeg always slows down in winter. It's cold. It's dreary. It's dark. Uh, Winnipeg always slows down in the winter. And so the first quarter will be a continued slowness. Um, when we get into Q2, Q3, from what we're reading, what we're seeing is hopefully the interest rates are going to level off. We've heard of even potentially coming down. And that's really the big linchpin in all of this is if the rates hold, um, we expect some of that normal seasonality to come back of the market, the briskness of the market in the second quarter to kind of hopefully bring those those things, um, the prices kind of more balanced and flat throughout the year. Um, there still are some positives, right? Um, the job market is still tight. Uh, salaries are actually increasing. Um, and in our inventory, this is kind of what the big story is that keeps the prices um, from, you know, for lack of better words, plummeting, <laughs> is is uh, the inventory mar- inventory still isn't there yet. Um, we're still well below our seasonal norms at this time. So um, we need to see a lot more inventory come back before we see prices really decline. What might you be expecting in terms of bidding wars? Because we have various friends, young couples who tried and tried and tried for forever, it felt like, to, to get a house, and they kept getting shut out because they lost out to a bidding war. So any any idea what might we can expect in 2023 for that? Well, um, if you're a buyer in 2023, uh, you know, you're going to be much more appreciative of our, of our market. Uh, bidding wars, while they still will exist, um, they've existed for about 15 years now, uh, they will be definitely less frequent and less intense. Uh, what we're seeing right now is about one out of every eight homes is seeing multiple offers. And when they are getting them, it's, you know, it's one or two, three or three offers, uh, not 30, as we saw last year. So uh, we expect that, you know, again, getting into Q2, Q3, our normal rate and what we see is typically one out of five, one out of six homes see multiple offers. Um, that's pre-pandemic level. So I expect it to reflect that a little bit. Um, so those homes that are still well-priced in great neighborhoods could see some attention, um, but it's going to be a lot of a, of a better market for buyers out there. Michael, before we let you go here, if I'm not planning to purchase a home or a condominium, not planning to sell one in the next uh, two or three years, is there a reason for me to be paying attention to this? Well, I mean, it's always, you know, it's always good to pay attention uh, depending on when your terms are coming up for your mortgage renewals, et cetera. Um, and it also just speaks to the overall health of the economy, but, um, the long-term, again, the long-term under, underlying market fundamentals are very strong in Winnipeg and across Canada. Uh, so, you know, 2023 is going to be that uh, weird shoulder year of, of a new rate environment. And once things, we get used to the new rates um, and things might even start coming down towards 2024, uh, we're going to expect kind of that back to our normal regularly scheduled program in Winnipeg where we see um, small price increases year over year. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Michael Fraze, broker and managing partner, Royal LePage Prime Real Estate. We appreciate the time, sir. Thank you very much for having me. And you can weigh in at 204-780-6868. Yeah, some of our... We had a couple of buddies, Mackling, who... uh, How long did it take them to finally get in? Boy, I want to say it was close to a year. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And like tens of offers on some houses and then resorting to the idea of including a letter right. in your offer to try and appeal to the <laughs> homeowner. It's like, I know we might not have the highest offer and the terms, but we really love your house. We've yeah. admired it I'm ever a nice since. Person. Yes, please <laughs> consider, you know, our cat is pretty and we're having a baby soon, even though they're not having a baby soon. Just any anything to try and uh, pull at the heartstrings of the sellers. And uh, yeah, that sounds like that's not going to be necessary well, any longer. But you never goodness. know. I mean, at least if you're getting into it. If you're getting into it, that's so frustrating because it's like if you went to the store to buy a sweater and the ticket says 50 bucks and you get up there and they're like, 
what else can you do for me? And you're like, what? <laughs> it's actually, well, this guy's willing this to pay $70 one, you know? for this sweater. And you'd be so annoyed because you budgeted that amount. And to know walking in that what that price is listed at is nowhere near what you're actually going to end up paying is I, how do you, how do you plan for that? We're asking about those, oh, come on, moments. What does Amanda have for us, Loren? Two words, pickle jar, that darn pickle jar. You know the moment when all you want to do is get the sweet taste of a dilly pickle. So you open up the fridge door, fiddle around with several jars in the door, looking for that jar of those crunchy extra garlic dill pickles. (laughs) You twist, you turn, the darn thing won't open. You turn it upside down, you give the jar a whack on the bottom, thinking, this works all the time. Nope, still not working. You take a butter knife, hit along the edge of the lid, try again, still nothing. You continue with all the secret tricks that have always worked, and you just can't open that jar. Then you look over to your husband and ask him to kindly open it, and without difficulty, snap. You hear the damn snap of the lid and see the lid open easily. Ah, I swear with every twist fail to my end is just loosening it for him. Yep. Greg can't relate to this at all. He doesn't know why anyone would be craving a pickle this badly. I don't understand that, but I understand (laughs) the jar opening techniques and and using every single one. The last one, uh, my last... My strategy of last resort is the rubber glove, you know, like for washing the dishes. Yeah, sure. Because that's uh, grippy. Yep, that so, a, that's a good idea. Yeah, so I try that one. Give you some extra torque on that. So keep your stories coming for a chance to win. We are going to pick a winner at nine fifteen for the Shania Twain tickets. It's Tuesday, Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And this morning, we are heading to the East Coast to celebrate the re-signing of the longest tenured Blue Bomber. Two receivers motion right, tight end that side. Give it to Carey. Oh, man, pushed back by Jake Thomas. Beautifully done as he blew Zach Williams off the line. That's right. Joining us from Fredericton, New Brunswick, is the aforementioned Jake Thomas. And, uh, Jake, you'd be surprised how easy it was for me to find that highlight this morning. Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. Good morning, and congratulations on the contract extension. Yeah, thank you very much. Always be here as well. Well, it's always great to speak with you. We appreciate uh, your time as always. Now, you've signed the contract now, and we don't want to ruin next year's negotiation, but at this point, is this a choice between retirement or returning to the Blue Bombers, the idea of going to another team in the CFL, is that even palatable to you at this point? It would definitely be pretty tough. Uh, you know, I don't uh, I don't see any other team in my uh, immediate future by any means. Okay, so I was hearing that you told Ed Tate that you actually haven't watched this year's Grey Cup. Uh, why not? Do you think you'll get to that at some point, Jake? I, I quickly watched like uh, our defensive plays like the day after, but I haven't like sat down and watched the whole you know TSN broadcast by any means. Uh, I think eventually. Uh, I don't think it'll be any time in 2022, but uh, it's uh, definitely been a great motivator for, to kind of kickstart an off season. It, is it just too? Is it too hard to watch? Walk me through that. And you know, you know, as someone, sometimes it's the same when I listen to myself back, or I go to rewatch a story I did. I think, uh, uh I'll put that away and not think about it again. Like, what's the emotion of not wanting to get through the whole thing? 
Well, I think I wanted to, you know, first see um, just I always have to see how I play or I'm not going to let it go, um, you know, right away. So that's why I kind of watched us defensively really quick. But just the flow of the game, uh, you know, I I just uh, I would say it still stings a little bit. Anytime you get that close and uh, you kind of let one slip away, it's always going to, you know, sting. It'll probably bother a lot of people for a long, long time, if not the rest of their life. But I'm sure once January or February rolls around, I'll I'll throw it on. But uh, no no reason to sour the uh, holiday season by watching that for me right now. Now, so much has been made about the culture shift within the football club and the fact that this is now where players want to be. So, what's at the heart of that, Jake? I think uh, just from the beginning, uh, Kyle Wade and Osh, they took their time and they they made what they wanted to. They made it the right way. And they give a lot of responsibility to the players. So, you know, we're able to kind of make the locker room what we want it to be. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of guys that really care about each other, really care about the organization, really care about the province that, uh, you know, keep wanting to come back and, you know, keep trying to win football games. And, you know, when you have a really strong leadership group, it's easier to bring on new guys every year and, you know, show them the bomber way, let's say. Jake, I've had this conversation with folks over the last couple of weeks and I did a national program and the question came up about, you know, is Winnipeg over the, the loss in the Grey Cup? And and I, and I, I think surprisingly a lot of people, I'm not going to say they're comfortable with it, but they're getting past it. And part of it has to do with this whole idea. There seems to be a, almost a this renewed idea of, yeah, we're going to come back, we're going to be better and stronger next year. And I almost wonder if some of the guys that are pending free agents might have moved on like after a three-peat and, and that this is going to maybe solidify the, the core and the group and and want to rectify what what didn't happen last year. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Um, you know, I can't speak for anyone, but all the guys that I've, you know, spoke to when the season ended, you know, it seemed like the majority of the guys wanted to be back and, you know, keep this group together and take another run at it. Um, obviously, any time a team's successful, uh, it's going to draw guys to want to play there. But uh, I don't, I don't know if we, if the winner loss would affect uh, how guys want to be or not. But yeah, I think it makes sense. Maybe if we did have uh, three in a row, maybe guys would have, you know, tried to chase the money a little bit. But uh, you know, I think a lot of guys are content maybe taking a little bit less and you know, trying to keep that group together and, and take another run at it and, you know, hopefully not have that sour taste in our mouth when the confetti falls. So you mentioned that you didn't want to watch the full game just because you want to have a, a good holiday. So what's, what are the plans for the holidays, Jake? Uh, my uh, my in-laws are going to be coming up the, I think, 23rd to 27th from Nova Scotia. Uh, then just spending a lot of time with my family. Uh, that's the one. One downfall to, uh, I guess, playing in Winnipeg. I don't get to see my family as much. We're a really close family. I'd be the youngest of four. I got ten nieces and nephews, so we'll, uh, I guess, nine nieces and nephews. Sorry, my guy's the tenth. So we'll all get together and, you know, play board games, have have uh, Christmas time, maybe rent a couple hours of ice and just get out and do kind of fun family activities. And are there any seasonal treats that you look forward to this time of year? Maybe something that you would only snack on in December? Let me think. Uh, Especially out east. I'm wondering if maybe you guys, if, if there's some sort of special east coast 
Christmas treat? I, I really like, and they're always kind of around uh, Christmas time. I want to say it's, I'm going to say it right, but it's like a mocha cake. So it's kind of like a white square covered in either coconut or peanuts. That's usually kind of this time of the year for me and uh, maybe in the Nanaimo bar or two. Oh, sounds good. How old's your little guy now, Jake? Is he about 18, 19 months old? Yeah, right right on there, 19 months. So this so. is going to be sort of the first Christmas where he maybe like really understands what's going on. It's going to be exciting for you guys. Yeah, no, it'll be awesome. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it should be should be a really fun time. And uh, we put up the tree yesterday. And this morning when I picked him up, all he wanted to see was turn on the lights and play with the ornaments. So I think he's starting to figure it out. He is the longest tenured Winnipeg Blue Bomber, and he is returning for what will be his 11th Canadian Football League season, all of them with the Blue Bombers. Jake Thomas joining us live from New Brunswick. Jake, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us this morning, and we're glad to hear you sticking around. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Take care and have a happy holiday. To you as well, sir. To you as well. Voters in Kirkfield Park go to the polls today, Loren. Yeah, so the Conservatives have dominated this constituency since its creation, you know, more than 50 years ago, with the exception of the years of 2007 to 2016 when the NDP were in. But the opposition parties, they've really been pulling out all the stops trying to swing Kirkfield Park in their favour. So we're joined now for more by Mary Agnes Welch, Principal at Probe Research. Good morning, Mary Agnes. Good morning. You know, I, I would say in the past, I don't know how many people really traditionally pay attention to by-elections if they're not the voters themselves, but this one has really garnered a lot of attention. Is it fair to just say it's a litmus test for the main election next year? Yeah, people always sort of think that about by-elections, and we sort of said that about the Fort White by-election, um, you know, uh, and it, it didn't it didn't really turn out to be a litmus test, and I, I'm not sure this one will be necessarily either. You know, the Tories are really low in the polls in, in sort of in Winnipeg specifically. They're only at about 27%, according to our last poll. But they actually do a little bit better in that corner of Winnipeg, kind of in that northwest quadrant. So I don't know. I mean, we like Winnipeggers right now and Manitobans are, are like really angry and frustrated and kind of fed up with the Tories. But I don't know if that's going to translate uh, into a loss for, for the Conservatives in this in this riding. So are they favored, Mary Agnes? And is this as much about Heather Stephenson and the provincial conservatives as it is about Kevin Klein, the conservative candidate? Yeah, I think in by-elections, kind of the local stuff matters more. And first of all, remember, the, the turnout in by-elections tends to be quite low, perhaps especially on a day when we're about to have a snowstorm. Um, and so, and I think that the local candidates... Um, and kind of that local uh, um, kind of infrastructure and the race and the ground game tends to matter a little bit more in a by-election. And there's three good candidates, you know, there were actually three good candidates in the Fort White by-election, and things didn't really shift. And I think Kevin Klein's name recognition, um, the fact that he just finished up a big, a big run for mayor that was fairly high profile, um, the, the other candidates, you know, uh, Logan Oxenham and, and Rhonda Nichol are also both pretty good candidates. But that this is a this is pretty traditionally Tory territory, you know, except for uh, you know when there's a big NDP wave, and I I think 
you know, in a by-election, you don't have that kind of that wave that happens in a general election. There's kind of a throw the bums out kind of feeling in a general election. And that doesn't always trickle down to kind of a one-off, a one-off by-election. You mentioned sort of that anger that some voters are feeling. And if I had to guess, I, I would, I think I know what the issue would be, but what are you, what are we hearing from Kirkfield Park residents? Is there something specific to that area or is it really just more that general malaise over everything from healthcare to education and more? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's definitely that general malaise, but it sounds like from what the candidates have been talking about um, and what the leaders have been talking about, healthcare really is kind of the the core issue um, that that in in that riding. The funny thing for me is that that's not necessarily right now the core issue for Winnipeggers. You know, when you ask Winnipeggers what's your what's the thing that's really top of mind for you that you're really concerned about, it's crime and poverty. Um, and that's true throughout the city, not just in sort of the downtown core. It's, just, it's you know, nearly as true in some of those kind of older suburbs like St. James. Um, and I'm not sure that that issue, even though the premier is talking pretty relentlessly about crime right now, I'm not sure if that issue has necessarily popped up in, in St. James the way I might have expected. It's interesting that uh, that the NDP has come out and sort of touted this idea of not splitting the vote. And then also the fact that Kevin Klein has sort of taken this approach that, you know, uh, I don't work for the concern, you know, if I'm elected, I don't work for the government. I, I work for you. I'm, you know, that's my first priority. Some interesting messaging there. Yeah, both of those things are, are pretty smart, I think. Uh, you know, I think Kevin Klein raised a lot of eyebrows when he said, I'm just as likely to you know, to go up against uh, Heather Stephenson at the cabinet table or the caucus table as I am against the NDP. Everybody sort of raised an eyebrow about that, but that's pretty, that's pretty smart politics. Uh, Heather Stephenson is, is, is quite unpopular personally uh, as a premier. Um, and, and I think in a by-election, you, especially with this, these sort of like sort of um, latent, we're cranky at the government feelings, it's it's not a it's a pretty it's a pretty smart strategy to say I will be an independent voice you know around the caucus table and then that vote split you know God we hear about that vote split issue in this province constantly and in even federally um, you know a good liberal candidate um, even though the liberals would say they have a shot at this I don't know that that's entirely uh, fair according to our, our numbers um, but I think uh, you know I think I think. There, there is that sort of traditional kind of just a, a little bit of a vote split on the left uh, in, in Winnipeg. Just 30 seconds here, Mary Agnes. Putting aside tonight, today's by-election and looking ahead to next year, you talked about the crankiness people are feeling and the Premier's popularity. Is there enough time with a year, less than a year left, to turn that crankiness around and have people put people in a better mood if the Conservatives are looking to try to win again? Uh, there's always time, and the, the NDP could do something really stupid and implode. We have a year, campaigns matter, et cetera, et cetera. The flip side to that, though, is I think Heather Stephenson has genuinely tried to turn those numbers around. Um, you know, a summer kind of outreach tour, um, you know, announcing a ton of stuff, um, you know, trying to trying to avoid a few blunders. Uh, I think she has really tried, and I, I think those numbers are pretty locked in in our minds among, among Manitobans, and I'd be surprised if they shift uh, that much over the next little bit. Mary Agnes Welch, a principal at Probe Research, joining us live in 680 CJOB. Thank you for this. We appreciate it. My pleasure. We have a couple of things we want to touch on here. First, I asked the question, uh, is, there a new, is the new leisure guide out? 
Yes, the Winter 2023 Leisure Guide is uh, open for business. So they release it to Winnipeggers, you know, a couple weeks ago so you can plan what sort of sessions you might want to sign yourself up for, your kids for, and then today's the day you can book all those winter activities. And normally not necessarily a big news story, but if you recall back in the fall when people were trying to sign up their kids for fall registrations, which includes everything from, you know, swimming lessons to maybe tap class or whatever you have to do, the system crashed. The computer system just couldn't keep up. And this has been a sort of a chronic complaint for Winnipeggers for quite some time. But last fall, as in three months ago, it culminated with, you know, a whole like, okay, we're taking this offline. It's working so poorly. We're suspending this until we can resolve the issues. And they, so registration was delayed. So the big question from everyone was, what are you going to do to fix this, Greg? Because we should be able to do better in this day and age. No question about it. This is something that has been going on for a long, long time. I can remember being on vacation just for a a long weekend, being down in Fargo and spending probably half of one of the days trying to get through to the leisure guide to get our kids into swimming lessons. This is when they're probably two or three, maybe four years old. And uh, we managed to get through, but it was an absolutely painful scenario. So what are we expecting? When is registration open? It's open now. And? I I don't register my kids in the city of Winnipeg. I tried several years ago and found it so frustrating because I'm a non-resident that I've gone elsewhere for all of their activities that they need. But if you're trying to sign your kid up now, let us know. 780-6868. How's it going? Because there's some important things. Like some of this is for fun. You want to get the activity in. You want to go to a gym. You might want to have a dance class. But- when it comes to then eventually booking swimming lessons, which sometimes comes at staggered dates, that's life-saving stuff. That's right. Timing is very important with those things. And if they've already accomplished one of the levels and you want to keep going, you want to keep that momentum intact and you don't want them to miss a session. Yeah, you got to learn that whip kick. The, the, <laughs> the whip kick? I love the whip kick. It's critical. Critical part of, of life. I don't know. But- I love... Well, we used to call it the elementary backstroke when I was a kid. I think it's just... I don't know what they call it now at some lessons where you like guide your thumbs up the side, right? And then you put your arms over your head and you whip it. And then you go down again. It's a nice lazy struggle. You're not getting far. I just... I couldn't... I never got it. I never got my green badge. Stupid whip it's kick. It's less tiring than... Lifting your leg out of the water in the, what's, what's the normal kick called? The paddle kick? Sure. The uh, crawl. I, I, the crawl? Front, front crawl. crawl. Yeah, I called it uh, doggy paddle. But uh, did you ever do the life-saving, Loren? No. Did you get that far? I don't know how far. I went right up to life-saving, I want to say, when it was like green, blue, oh, something else. The so life you got like a gold. Is it the gold? Is that the top one? And then you go mm, into life-saving? I feel like I didn't get gold. This might, Now I'm just being braggy. <laughs> I can't remember with the numbers. Yeah, the fun the fun of the life-saving was jumping in with all your clothes on, you know, jeans, yes. shirt, et cetera, and then having to take that off and then having to tread water. I think it was for, I think it was for five minutes. Sure, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That was a challenge. Okay. And we also had some feedback that we wanted to share about the library because we were talking earlier about downtown safety and the fact that someone unfortunately was killed at the library on Sunday. And uh, what did Julie have to say, Loren? Well, we're just talking about what that space is being used for? Is it being used for its intent? And then how do you feel as a customer there? Because Julie says the library is a beautiful place, relaxing place to go in the winter for getting away from everyone, for reading. You look outside, you've got a great view. It's peaceful. Julie says it's easy for me to get there and I love it very much. But lately, you know, her thoughts have changed that that she sees graffiti on the walls and doors. Uh, it's gross in the toilet. Things are destroyed. And she goes on to say, you know, I go downtown and many a close call 
but I don't want to have to lock myself in the house either, Julie says. I'm very angry. It's going to get worse and worse. It's going to be a ghost town soon. Everyone will avoid the once beautiful, beautiful place. And so in her experience, things have changed down there, and that's changing the way she feels about that building and the downtown. Yeah, and that and then extrapolates across the city about how we feel about the way we are, are living and where we're living. Becky says, by the way, I've never registered my daughter so quickly and easily as this morning. Strange. Says but Becky. Well, they've been made, registering they've on the made fixes line. then. Carrie says the same thing. She's already registered for skating and swimming. Good. So Keep- it's working. That's hey, that's a good news story. If they did Huzzah! something. We're asking you about those. Oh, come on. Really? Like right now? Moments inspired by the fact that I took my car in yesterday to get my tires swapped, but I also had a check engine light situation. Of course, as soon as I pull into the garage. The check engine light comes off, which I guess bodes well for me because then I don't have to pay for any repairs. But still, it's just weird that, of course, it happens at the garage and they look at me like I'm insane. And, Loren, you mentioned there was a place that uh, you were craving, or was it you or your your hubby who was craving oysters? I'm trying to remember where it was, but it's actually happened a couple of times where either we've been in places where there was an oyster bar, but it's closed that day, or you go to a restaurant, not maybe specifically because that, but we're going to get oysters when we get there. And to be, I don't like them, but it's like he loves them. And and so, and and then you get there and the one thing that draw, drew you to the restaurant or that you were excited about, they say, now just before you order, quick couple quick notes, you know, my name's Tammy. And also we have no oysters or whatever it is. And so that's just so frustrating. And it's happened to me before too, where I've gone to a restaurant wanting penne a la vodka and I was like craving it all day. And um, it's an off the menu item that they'll make for people when they ask for it. And then sure enough, I sit down and just so you know, I know it's a house favorite, but we're, we're not doing that sauce today. And I thought, well, see ya. Was that in Clear Lake by any chance? I'm not uh, going to <laughs> say where it was or wasn't. It was in Wasagaming, wasn't it? It was. I know exactly the restaurant you're talking about. Really? Uh-huh. It's amazing sauce. Oh, okay. Well, this uh-huh. listener says there is a specific Thai restaurant that I go to, and they have this item on the menu. And ever since I started going there, I, I try to order this item, and not once have they had it available. So I still have never had it, but when I go in, I still order it, even though I even though I, I know they're not going to have it. Why is it on the menu? And that kind of reminds me as well, there was a place that I used to go to with friends for wings, and they had... You know, they had their drink menu and they had a, a beer on the menu. It was like a like a Belgian wheat kind of beer. And for two years, it was on the menu and I asked for it every time. No, we don't have that. And I finally just said, like, why is this on your menu? I realize it's probably onerous to change your menu, but take it off the menu or black it out at least. Take a Sharpie and a ruler <laughs> and... Sh- Draw a line through it. Or if, you, if you're if you out of the item, that's sometimes I get it for restaurants. They'll just say, we just don't have it. So oysters I get, right? They're being brought in from somewhere else. But sure. This summer, I remember going to a place and like, I can't wait to have a Caesar. And they didn't have, they the first words were, we have no Caesar because we're out of Clamato juice. No, and no, I, no, no, and no, all no. I could think was, I just walked past a grocery store to yes. walk to your restaurant. Exactly. Like if you're, it's not, that's not hard for you to go to get. No. That's easy to get. In fact, you send somebody out to get that and you get them to get a case of it. But in the case of oysters or or salmon was one that we would run out of, you know, once in a while at Earl's. But we would flip it into a positive and we would bring people back in the kitchen and we would show them 
how the salmon comes in fresh and the idea that we ran out is good because that means that when you do get it, it is fresh. It's not frozen. We don't have an endless supply. This is how we order it. And we have to do our best to try and anticipate the needs of our customers. And we don't want to order too much because we want to be fresh for you every single time. So yeah, there, there's a story there if you do it once. I, I would be suspicious of an oyster place, Loren, that always has oysters. Like the idea yes, that they run out of a, them yeah. once in a while is probably a good thing. That means they're bringing in fresh product. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that to be like, oh, it's been here for, we've had them for nine days. I don't think so. <laughs> One thing you might want to be cognizant of as you as we speak of food right now is um, something you might not be able, to, you'll be able to find it, but maybe not afford it. Greg, you flagged with us. The price of turkeys right now, and we talked about that back at Thanksgiving. We did them going the the price of a turkey going through the roof, and I and of course I said then I should go get a turkey now so that I have one for Christmas that doesn't cost me twice as much. And sure enough, what I did was not go out and get that turkey. <laughs> I'm trying to find the t- exact tweet from the food professor, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. Here it is, and yeah, we had a heads up because of the industry that my wife works in, that the idea that turkey might be a problem, he tweeted out yesterday that turkey, here he goes, turkey prices skyrocketing. Uh, picture below was taken on April 30th, 2022 at Sobeys in Halifax, 484 per kilogram. Price today, this was yesterday or last night, 880 per kilogram. Whoa. So it's doubled since April yes. in that store in Halifax. I'm going to go out and take a look for that today because I remember thinking in October it still seemed like a lot. And then of course the food professor goes on to say in that Twitter thread, Greg, I have been telling people to buy early since September. <laughs> yes, I know, Sylvain. <laughs> but he's right. There's so many times you get to the store and you think this has to, it's like with gas. You, you don't want to, I, I have not put a full tank of gas in. This is just a terrible strategy because I'm so convinced but that it's going to go it's down. It's going to go down. And what has happened to me a bunch of times is it's actually just gone up or it just doesn't move at all. And with food, I've, I've thought, you know, that's a good deal or it's a good deal for today. I should get this today. But you keep thinking it can't get worse, can it? But that 480 per kilogram at a turkey in, in that store in Halifax to 880 no. is outrageous. Yeah. And I'm, we're going to have to check and see what people are seeing out there. Let us know, 780-6868. If you bought your turkey or seen uh, those kinds of hikes in the past four or five months. Yeah, that's difficult because I wonder how many, if a lot of, that'll push a lot of families to perhaps change their traditional meal. I've never, like turkey, my mom always made a turkey, but if there was no turkey in the house, no one was sad about it because it was a ton of work. Like it's a lot of work to, to make a turkey and really uh, it was just the two of us. And even the two of us, me and my mom, we just, <laughs> we liked the turkey skin. Right. And we liked the stuffing. And my dad loved the stuffing, but he was never a fan of the bird. And oh, my man, sister, you got the meat for no reason. Yeah. I mean, we, we eventually we'd have the leftovers and he would enjoy the turkey sandwiches. But in, in the primary meal, it was never like the, even though it was the biggest part of it and the most work, it <laughs> was never the know? most. She's been a vegetarian since <laughs> we were kids. <laughs> Why bother? I know. And I think we finally even said like, you don't have to go through this just because. Right. We, but but uh, to be fair, the stuffing was fantastic coming out of the bird. And I think that was really the draw. But uh it, it wasn't a huge tradition for us, but if that's a big deal for you, if you look forward to that turkey every year at times like Christmas and suddenly to be faced with this astronomical cost increase, like that's like what, what would a, 
uh, turkey to feed, what would an average turkey cost? I have no idea. It depends. I'm trying to think now. So say for my family and a couple extras at the table, I don't remember what the pounds would be. But I don't know. It'd be 20. Probably 10, 20, somewhere in between. A 20-pound turkey, I, I, it's never been more than, I don't think, $40 or $50. But I but I, I honestly am so blanking a right 20, now. So a 22-pound. Pound turkey or twenty-two pound turkey is what ten kilograms at eight. That's an eighty dollar. That's an eighty dollar yeah, so turkey. From a forty dollar turkey yeah. to an eighty dollar turkey. That's right? a big difference. And and depending, and I think this year too, people are talking about bigger gatherings. Mm-hmm. So the last couple of years, it's been buying a turkey for my family with some leftovers, right? And now you're looking at buying a turkey for two or three families or friends, and hoping to have leftovers. So you might be spending several hundred dollars on just the turkey alone, which which is insane. Yeah, that's crazy. That's tough. Yeah, we do. We're doing our turkey now. We buy it from uh, one of the golf courses, the restaurant up at Larder's. And this will be our third year doing that. I wonder if there's going to be a big surcharge on that when we pick it up on Christmas Eve. Like they actually prepare the turkey? The whole kit and caboodle, the whole dinner. They do have an excellent kitchen there. Oh, so good. (laughs) So good. Oh, by the way, fried chicken. I was going to say to you, like, if, if, if all you like is the skin and the turkey, you guys should have had fried chicken. Kentucky Fried Chicken or something. Has, have you had Candy's Fried Chicken, by the way, Brett McGarry? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We used to, I think we actually used to have a Candy's um, on Regent at Hoka. It's a chicken delight now, but I'm positive that it was a Candy's. I'd ha- I, somebody listening right now can confirm that. Mm. Uh, I had it for the first time on uh, Saturday night. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You liked it? Oh, fantastic. Would you say you're also a fried chicken aficionado? Natto, however that word Bread is, is for sure. Tenured in the art of <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you getting a card for that? Like it's in the mail, right? <laughs> Your probably, accreditation. I probably should. You I should. Do, I do like the fried chicken. We want to revisit the fatal stabbing at the Millennium Library in downtown Winnipeg, which has once again put the spotlight on safety in that building. Here's Global's Lisa Dutton with more. Winnipeg police are investigating the city's 51st homicide of the year, this one at the Millennium Library. Officers were called Sunday afternoon just before 5 p.m. and found a man who had been seriously injured. He was rushed to hospital in critical condition but did not survive. Three youths are in police custody. The homicide unit has taken over the investigation. The library will be closed until next Monday, the 19th. And the library is closed. You know, there, there's obviously things that they have to tend to. I don't know if the, the police need, still need to get in and out of there, but they're also talking about speaking with staff and, and making sure that they, they're having those important conversations. And we know that the city and the union who represent the workers at the library, we, we understand there was a meeting yesterday. We're looking for more details, and I've asked the city and the union for a response. But, you know, the hard part here is it, it doesn't really matter who the victim is here, Greg. We we mourn the loss of another Winnipeg or 51 homicides this year. You know, we, we don't know if they were someone who used the library, um, frequented it for books or other reasons. We don't know any details about that person, but but that's not really what's important. What's important here is that security has been a concern at that facility for years. And, you know, back in 2019, they put in hand-won security screenings. They had bag checks going on. And the reports from 
the library staff is that that helped reduce incidents. It actually helped cut down the number of calls they were making to 911. But there were also advocates that said, hang on, you know, metal detectors, bag searches, that's invasive and targeting marginalized groups. And so there was all this controversy over it. But here we are again with this, what we were saying earlier this morning, this gorgeous space serving what should be a wonderful purpose. And we have listeners saying, thanks, but no thanks. Don't want to go there anymore. Yeah, there's a, such a thing as dedicated use. Uh, Pan Am Pool, that's a re- workout facility. That's a place people go to swim. They take their families to swim there. Are you going to merge that with being a center where people come and warm up? Maybe that's what happens there. If it does, my apologies. Uh, I understand that we have a a severe situation in our city with regards to homelessness, a severe shortage of places for people to go. I want the city to address that. I've said that for an awfully long time. But now you have this multi-million dollar facility in the Millennium Library. It opened as the Centennial Library when I was a little kid. We were sharing earlier uh, what a valuable resource that Centennial Library was as a library, a place to go and do research and to do all the things that you needed to do to do for school when your school library wasn't open. And even then, I would go anyway because the resources were 10 times better than anything we had at school and in junior high and high school. And then they spend another $20 million plus to renovate the Centennial Library, rename it the Millennium Library, and now it feels as though those that want to use that facility for that purpose are not comfortable using it that way. And once again, I understand people need places to go when it's too hot outside, when it's too cold outside. But at what point does a tipping point occur where the reason the facility exists in the first place is being overtaken by a different reason, a different use? And at what point then does that facility become essentially useless to the entire community and its overall stated use. And and, and and that's bothersome to me for a myriad of reasons. And adding to this is, is from what we understand, the union had raised the alarm again in the days leading up to the stabbing and therefore were well aware of what was going on and were asking for some changes. And so what, what, what might the changes be going in? Again, lots of things to learn about how this transpired, but... The bottom line is it's impacting the way people feel. And if, if the staff are feeling unsafe, then can you, and they're more in the know than the patron, then the people going there are going to feel additionally unsafe because they're not in the know in terms of what's going on in and around them. We're asking you about the oh, come on moments, like when you go to the doctor and suddenly you start to feel better, or you show up at the garage and your car stops making the noise. Henry Pauls with one that kind of uh, you feel sort of relates to you, Loren. Ran over a dead deer with my little car, causing a lot of damage. Got the car back in two weeks. Driving home in the dark, I see a man on the shoulder waving a flashlight. Look on the road, big deer laying in my lane. Not this again, I think. I veer around it, fishtail on the gravel shoulder, but don't lose control. Did everything I could to save my car. Just bought new winter tires for it. Did a bunch of front-end work. Then, last Thursday... I hit a live deer at 100 kilometers per hour and rode off my beloved car. My word. So then I said, so hang on. You hit a deer, got it fixed, saw a dead deer on the road, veered around it. Phew, everything's good. Week later, hit a deer. He says, yes. And then he adds, a couple of years ago, I hit four deer in the month of October. 
And then later this morning wrote, and then I just barely avoided one with my work truck just now. And I was like, what is going on? He said, well, there's a lot of deer in the injury lake this time of year. And I get it. Wow. The rut might still be just at its end. But that is some bad luck. I thought I had bad luck. I have people in my life who want me to take out their old beater cars in hopes that I write it off. <laughs> yeah, but have you ever had have you ever had two auto pack or MPI claims in one day, McNabb? No. I did once. Backed into a car with the milk truck at three in the morning, got home at noon, and my personal vehicle was sitting in the middle of uh, Oakdale in Charleswood. Someone had hit it. Oh, no. Uh, probably within about four hours of me hitting this parked car in St. James. So I called MPI. Yeah, I have two claims to make <laughs> at uh, once. Yep, two different vehicles, two separate incidents. Not good. I've, I've had CAA ca- call them twice within a matter of seconds. It's just recently when my battery died. Uh, no, I locked my keys in the car Yeah. on election day. CAA comes, get me out of my car, and as he's pulling away, I put the keys in, and the battery is dead, and I'm running back down. Hang on! While you're here... Not done with you quite yet. (laughs) And then I wondered, I've been wondering, does that count as two visits? Oh! You know, because you only have a certain amount. That's right, that's right. There is a limit for CAA. Um, Jeanette also had us chuckling, and clearly I I think that this is probably one that you should read, Loren. This isn't uh, my oh man moment, but my husband's. A few years ago for Christmas when I was 55 years old, and hang on, she says, that's important to the story of my age, my husband bought me a nightgown. After opening it, I tried it on only to find out that it had flaps for a nursing mother. <laughs> what a good laugh we had. <laughs> Are that not declared somewhere on the tag? or like? I have so work? many follow-ups of did you return it or keep it? <laughs> <laughs> but our winner... Mr. Greg Mackling is Helena, or perhaps it's Helena. Sorry, Helena slash Helena. We'll uh, we'll suss that out. But congrats, you're the winner. What is the story? Some years ago, I was on a coffee date. I started to feel my pockets, realizing I'd forgotten my keys. The guy I was with asked if there was a problem, and I explained what was going on. We then talked back and forth, trying to find a solution. We decided we were going to go to my house to get my CAA card to have them let me into my car. As we left, he said, you don't own a gun. And I responded by saying, yes, but it's in my car with my keys. This was only funny because he knew that I loved to read true crime and watch true crime movies. So he drove me home. And as we pulled up in front of my house, he said, oh, um, you're going to kill me now, aren't you? I laughed and said, no, I have nowhere to hide your body to which he responded, uh, you do your own renovations, so you can just stick me inside a wall. We managed to get in my house by crawling through a window while my kids slept. They couldn't hear me knock. We got my CAA card. He drove me back to my car. We had a great friendship after that. I said, you guys clearly had a great sense of humor together. What yeah. happened? But apparently he started dating somebody else. Ooh. But it's cool that they were able to stay friends uh, because we can joke about stuff like that, especially in a stressful situation like this date where you you feel dumb because you lost your keys. Right. Uh, good for you, Helena. Congratulations. You're going to Shania Twain. In our last hour, we were telling you about a tweet from one of our regular contributors, and it literally sent some of you rushing to the grocery store. It comes from the food professor, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, who says in a grocery store in Halifax, 
The cost of a turkey has essentially doubled since April from four eighty four a kilogram, Loren, to eight eighty per kilogram. Yeah, I mean that's insane insane. So we were asking listeners, have you bought your turkey yet? What are you noticing? Steve texted in to say this conversation literally sent me to the store and he was saying he found a good deal at the store. He went to, but we wanted to find out what's going on, what's the average price right now, because of course, uh, Turkey is top of mind for many who put it on the table for the Christmas or for holidays. Munther Z of Food Fair joins us now. Good morning, Munther. Good morning. How are we? I'm good. I'm I'm annoyed at myself because I said a couple months ago I should go out and get a turkey now because it's probably only going to get worse. And here we are. Uh, walk us through the prices. What are you seeing now compared to a year ago? Uh, they've gone up uh, almost uh, 50%. Uh, last Christmas, I believe we were at two forty nine a pound, five forty nine a kilogram, up to three fifty nine, seven ninety one a kilogram. So they are up there, and stock is very limited this Christmas, especially in frozen. So, what have you been told, Munther? What's at the the source of this? I know avian flu was a huge issue earlier this year, and if I remember correctly, you were talking at Thanksgiving that uh, not necessarily the availability of birds overall, but the size of them. They're much smaller. The larger ones are more difficult to come by. That's still the case? Uh, Not really. We've been told that there'll be a little bit more of a variety to choose from in the way of size. Uh, At Thanksgiving, for example, we can only offer 11 to 14 pounds. Right now, we've been told we can go up to about 18, 20 pounds. But again, nothing's confirmed until turkeys start to be delivered, which will be this Friday. And we were hearing from the food professor who was suggesting that people should maybe think about buying their turkeys for the holidays early, the back, even back in September. Have you noticed anybody doing that? Like, have you been selling, did you notice that more turkeys were going out the door earlier than usual? There wasn't any. I, I don't know uh, how anybody can get them, I mean, unless it's stocked from Thanksgiving. Um, but uh, we were trying to get some turkeys in early. Uh, nothing available, especially in fresh frozen very limited supply i mean we've we've actually turned away a lot of uh hamper orders this year because we couldn't confirm stock for the customers that wanted it for hampers Uh, a lot of them switched over to chickens offering chickens in their hampers but uh i bet you we've turned away a good three four hundred hamper orders minimum at one location because we couldn't confirm turkeys and you mean hampers for people in need monther or people who buy them early people that buy turkeys to put in hampers, whether it be churches, organizations, companies that are doing a very nice, thoughtful thing for the community, getting hampers ready to give to whether it be harvest or directly to homes, uh, we weren't able to confirm turkeys. I mean, we tried, but uh, what was out there was very limited um, and sizing was limited. I mean, we eventually got our hands on what we call utility turkeys, which means it could be missing a part or it could be the skin could be ripped, but uh, very limited stuff. Munther, uh, the difference between frozen and fresh turkey is there a, a difference there in terms of price and or availability? Uh, at one time, yes, there was always a difference in price between fresh and frozen. This year, we're finding them to be practically the same price. Uh, frozen, very limited supply, as I said, um, and the only size we could see in frozen is the 11 to 14 pound, which is the 5 to 7 kg range. Bigger size turkeys, uh, from what we've been told by all our different suppliers, we have about four different suppliers for turkeys. Nobody has a large one. 
So you mentioned some people might be choosing to go down the turkey route, or sorry, chicken route, because the supply for turkeys is is not there, and then there's the cost. But chicken isn't cheap either right now, Munther. And I'm curious for you and your family. I mean, you've been in this grocery business for decades. Have you ever seen anything like what we've been going through in the past, you know, five six months? Nothing. Nothing. I've never seen anything like this ever. And I've been in this business working with my dad since I was 12 years old. The only time I ever saw a major turkey shortage was uh, one year, one of the turkey plants burnt down friendly family farms, if I'm not mistaken. That was the one year that there was a shortage of turkeys because it happened literally right before uh, Christmas. But besides that, uh, I've never seen something like this before in my life. In a typical circumstance, which what's more coveted? From the customer's perspective, would it be a, a frozen turkey or a fresh turkey? Well, uh, we uh, at Food Fair really push the fresh. We do a large business in fresh turkeys. I mean, we have dedicated coolers in all our stores just for the fresh because that we, we do that many. Um, a lot of people will do frozen because it's a cheaper price, but uh, I'd say that most of our customers go with fresh. And again, as I said, we do a very large business in fresh turkeys. So what about groceries overall, Munther? We've been talking about inflation for, you know, just about a year now and the change in price uh, in particular with uh, fuel and food. Have food prices begun to stabilize anywhere uh, in the store? Uh, They have. It looks like they are pretty stable right now. A lot of the items that are for Christmas seem to be the same as they've been for years, whether it be the stuffing, the cranberry, the gravies, some of the vegetables are pretty much in line of what they were last year and the year before. Uh, Overall groceries, yes, they are up, but it looks like, I mean, the last month almost, it seems to be holding. Prices haven't gone up. So I I, I think it's stopped. I think a lot of the prices have stopped. They They are what they are right now, but hopefully soon they might start going down. So if I'm listening now, and you said your turkey shipment comes in Friday, is that right, Munther? Our fresh turkeys start coming in Friday. We were hoping to get them in earlier, but we've been uh, told twice already not to expect anything until Friday. So if I wanted to, could I, could one get their name on a list now for it, or do I have to line up like I'm lining up for the new iPhone for this turkey? No, no. You can, <laughs> if you call the store, we do a huge business where you can uh, call in, put your name down. Uh, we'll take your name and number, put you down for a turkey as the size that you want. Hopefully we can get it, especially in the larger size ones, Um, and you can come pick it up. I mean, we should have no problems filling orders as long as our suppliers uh, say what they're saying and keep their word on it, which I believe they will. Uh, Munther, and if I don't have room at home for my turkey, can I leave it uh, at your place for a little bit or what? That's what we're very very popular for, and that's why we do a large fresh business is you can order it and pick it up when you need it. So uh, order it now, and you can pick it up right at Christmas Eve if you like, or Boxing Day, depending on when your event is. So we have, as long as you order it, we will have it, God willing. Munther Z joining us from Food Fair Live on 680 CGOB. Munther, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Have yourself a great day.
That's a terrific option to be able to order it and then pick it up at your convenience. I, I've never heard of that. Mm-hmm. He's got a huge, uh, like a giant fridge for that. And then that way, you know, because you don't have a place to store it. Lots of people don't or they don't want to think about it and they get it when they need it. So that's that's the issue. Because on the other hand, you know, one of our listeners says for hamper families that when they call to see what they want in the hamper, they often substitute this turkey because... The families don't have a place to keep that turkey until Christmas Day. Yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned, you've got the deep freeze, but not everybody has that. And would 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 any standard freezer be able to fit a turkey? Like, would you have to take everything have to out take of it? Out, that depends <laughs> on the size. You have to take out that middle piece, I would guess. Yeah, for you most have to, turkeys. Yeah, you have to be pretty uh, creative. And of course, with this mild weather, a lot of people just stick their turkeys sure. outside <laughs> on the patio or in the Fair. veranda, or where, you know, you're you're. We call it the walk-in freezer at my Baba's house, but uh, it's not a freezer right now. It's more of a fridge. Mm-hmm. Good point. Very good point.